We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. This is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz flagship podcast. Just stopping by to say thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. We're offering our listeners a special 10% discount when they use the promo code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Again, that's 10% off a one-year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2021. Thanks for listening and keep on tuning in. Hello everyone, welcome back to the best baseball podcast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. This series, I am delighted to be joined by Zach Kruger, who you can follow on Twitter at ZK underscore FFB. Zach has been doing phenomenal work on the Rotoviz site and doing a lot of good baseball content. It's been a lot of fun doing this series with him as well. And on today's show, uh, it will be me and him after this one again, back to the original format of uh, myself and Zach. But on today's show, it is Zach and Sean Siegel. They are going to go through some Q&A that were submitted by the listeners via Twitter um, to Zach for Sean. And we're going to hear them talk some best ball scenarios and topics with Sean. So I think there's a lot to learn from this and a lot of good takeaways, uh, I'm sure. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Um, just going to dive in. Zach, take it away. The first question, I'm just going to go down the line. This is actually from Amar, fellow Rotoviz writer. He had asked Sean, if you were forced to take a running back in the dead zone, who are one or two running backs that you would consider in the dead zone spot um, at this point in time of the season? And then someone else said, guaranteed it's a rookie. Our draft kind of reflects that. Would that be uh, would that be pretty spot on with the answer and then what we did tonight? I think that's accurate. And we also had Dobbins, someone I would consider probably more, you know, if we're in a different spot early in the third round where we were, he fell to us. We didn't necessarily like him there. But if you're in some of these drafts, and I think that you are going to see individual drafts where running backs fall. Overall, we know running backs are still going very, very early. If you're in a draft where they fall, then I think toward the end of the third round, uh, he becomes a little bit more interesting. In this draft here, right, we had Chubb and Mixon fall to the end of the second round. It's not impossible that you're going to have some of those things happen in the third, fourth round with some of these other second-year guys. When I'm looking at taking a running back in the dead zone, I'm looking to have the upside of someone who next year would be a top-five pick. I think that those young guys have some of that upside. With Dobbins, I think the Baltimore offense is going to be one of the most interesting offenses to follow this season. I think that they will pass a little bit more. That doesn't necessarily help Dobbins. 
they've talked a little bit about throwing more to the running backs. We'll see if that develops. There's plenty of room for skepticism there, but if it does happen, Dobbins should be the beneficiary. I think that this team is just going to score so many points that the concerns that fantasy owners very justifiably have about the way the volume works for some of the most important people. You know, you have Dobbins, you have Mark Andrews. He went very early in this draft, definitely an Andrews believer. I like that pick. We were all over Andrews last year. And one of the funny things about Andrews is that he gets the rap for having this very disappointing 2020 season, but really it was solid, right? I mean, if that's again, a disappointment, then you're talking about a very talented guy. So we look at these Baltimore players. I think that they could pan out very nicely. Uh, even some of the receivers, we were kind of on different Baltimore receivers. That wasn't a direction that we were going to go in this draft. But I think that you could see some of those Baltimore receivers really uh, generate value at ADP as well. Yeah, I, th I think Bateman is a guy who I particularly come around on later on drafts. He's going after Marquise Brown. I think he's uh, very likely to lead all Ravens wide receivers and targets. Um, next question I have here is from Pat Corain. Uh, I think this is actually a pretty good one here. Curious for Sean's thoughts on hyper-fragile in this format. It seems far less utilized here than on underdog. Um, I don't know how much drafting you've done on underdog, Sean. I'm sure that you are at least familiar with one of the hot topics on underdog right now is this idea of a four wide receiver, or I'm sorry, four running back building, what is also an 18 round best ball format, half PPR. A lot of people are kind of going crazy over the hyper fragile build right now. And you're seeing that pop up a lot. Where would you be at a hyper fragile running back build in a format like this on the FFPC? I think that you can definitely go that direction. You look at the start that I think it was Nelson had where he does get those guys who fall to, uh, you know, Mixon, Chubb there. I think you could arguably go with just those guys. Now he has three running backs. He takes later uh, Michael Carter, an interesting player, maybe not in the sixth round. Although again, um, Carter is someone who probably will outperform uh, the expectations that a lot of us have for him. So I like it here. I think that if your running backs stay healthy, which is a little bit what you're gambling on in the first place with that, I think that if you draft those guys early and you're thinking, okay, well, that's the upside. Those players have big workloads. Certainly, uh, Mixon may be a little bit less exciting than Chubb, but the workload should be better, right? So you have this potential for a huge score. If you're taking that, then I really like the idea of going very wide receiver heavy with some of those other picks to make sure that you also have uh, those wide receiver spots with, with more upside, I think, than if you take your more traditional builds. And then I think it also gives you a little bit more upside at the flex position. Sure, you're definitely exposing yourself to injury and maybe starting to take some zeros, which you never want to do. At the same time, when we're talking about number one, just winning your league and being in that top three and advancing and then being in the top couple as you go through those playoffs, it's really a matter of having those guys have stayed healthy. And if they do, then I think that you want to go more that direction than have some balance. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the general premise behind the hyper-fragile ZRB approach. I think perhaps maybe six running backs here with the with the three out the gate is probably a little rich for me. But I think the way it started in terms of how you would essentially set up a hyper-fragile build looks very good with McCaffrey, Mixon, and Chubb. Um, let's find another question here. Um, Internet influencer Peter Overzet posed a question of, Curious to hear thought, Sean's thoughts on stacking because I know it's not something he prioritizes in football guys or main event, but curious if he feels different for large field best ball. Um, where are you at on stacking? We talked a little bit about this earlier, um, but if we want to dive a little bit deeper on that kind of comparing football guys and main events to best ball, I think maybe that would be kind of a, a good little angle to take there. 
I like to just get the best players. And if you can get a stack, it definitely can make a difference. I think that sometimes the ones that work out for you are based on luck. I think it was a Josh McCown, um, if I had the right McCown even, uh, Alshon <laughs> Jeffrey stack or pairing that allowed my team to win the NFFC primetime all of those years ago. The backup quarterback actually being pressed into service, having a huge uh, week 15 game, I think it was, in that format. If it all works out for you that you have those guys come into play that way, then I think that it's a no-brainer if you're trying to make sure that you have you – know, all you have to do is think to Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen last year in Week 16 and how that can happen. At the same time, I think that it was uh, a Josh Allen team versus a Stefan Diggs team that finished 1-2. And I, I may not be remembering it correctly, but I think that Diggs at the very end – uh, in a come from behind victory because the wide receivers score more points than the quarterbacks on those touchdowns. I think it was Diggs who actually delivered the half a million dollars over Josh Allen. So you don't necessarily have to have the stacks. You want to have exposure to the best players. One of the things that we see here as well, and we talked about it some already on the show, is that some of the best stacks for winning those individual weeks in the playoffs may be not the best best ball stacks for winning your individual league. So you can get on the best ball win rate explorer. You can play with some of those things. Look at the stacks and how they work in individual leagues and see how you want to play that. See if the stack that you like for sort of a one-week DFS type experience is the same one that's going to allow you to get there in the first place. Awesome. Let me get into a, another question here. Um, let's see. All right. This is an interesting one. This is from uh, ZMC at Buffalo Hot Spurs. It says, who do you hate picking but keep picking? And what's the weakest two quarterback combo you would roll with? So I guess what he's asking, who's a player that you don't feel good about taking, but you can't help but take him when he's there? And I guess the question is, how late would you drop back um, in the draft to get two quarterbacks who maybe aren't necessarily the best pairing, but you feel confident enough going with it? Yeah, I, I just don't draft guys that I don't like. And so, <laughs> it, I mean, I, I don't necessarily go for quite as much uh, roster diversity as some players do. I like to be pretty heavy on my guys in any given year, knowing that sometimes that's going to mean that I have a down season. But when I have the up seasons, they tend to be really big because, for example, in a 2020, you know, I'm not avoiding digs anywhere. Right. I mean, that value there, even if we hadn't been as right, the, the value still would have been extreme. And so I want him on every single team. My ten teams tend to be centered around a smaller group of guys than the way some other high volume players do it. Uh, the other question about uh, these quarterbacks, I would feel comfortable going with a Carr Fitzpatrick team. That's kind of the, the other quarterback that we really wanted there, Fitzpatrick. We made some different choices in that round 12, round 13 area to make sure that we got more. But I feel comfortable with going those guys. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think at this point, is really a no-brainer just in general, but especially for this format. That was a great pick uh, in the middle of round 14. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is probably about where I would be at on that too. I, I think it's one of those things where even though we can sit here and say right now we feel good about doing something like that, I don't know that you'd ever actually catch me doing that. But I think that's where I would be at on that too. I think that both Fitzpatrick and Carr can give you um, a, a nice a nice back and forth, at least hopefully, of um, quarterback one weeks. And I think that they're probably both locks to start as long as, as, long as they are healthy. Um, Another question here is from Frank Duffy. He says, okay, I do have a question. 
In his article on winning this thing, Sean details hit win rates for two running backs, three running backs, and four running backs through the first seven picks. Has he done the same for zero or one running back? I'm going to open up the article real quick, if that's okay, just if we want to try to get down to that point. Um, but, Sean, have you done that? Is that something you've looked into at all? Um, where are you at with that? Yeah, so the, the follow-up article, and it goes a little bit into our plan for this draft, is that the one running back is actually quite a bit better still, right? And we see that a lot when you're looking across the different best ball formats. All of the best ball formats have different quirks to them that you do need to understand and be willing to take advantage of or at least adjust to but almost all of them are very favorable for some type of one running back draft early and the more tight ends that you add the better now one of the things that we have to keep in mind as we're looking at this is the tight is you know early tight end and multiple relatively early tight end is very conclusively the way to play it based on the last three four five years have played out now That's partly related to just a handful of players, though, right? I mean, if Travis Kelsey doesn't do what he does, if Darren Waller doesn't do what he does, then you're going to get some different types of results. And we want to be aware of that as it relates to constructions that relate that rely on just one or two guys, as opposed to when we're looking at how running backs play out, we can be pretty comfortable saying that the dead zone has underperformed. When we look at the way a wide receiver heavy build will work, we can be pretty comfortable that those guys are going to allow you to dominate the flex positions. It's going to give you a team that has a high floor and a high ceiling. At the tight end position, we're we're really relying on a handful of guys. Now, the other part of that is simply that those guys do gap the field at their positions by so much that we see that reflected in the win rate. So we know that a one running back approach is better. We know that a tight end approach is better we're betting on that and gambling on that happening in this season with the way that we went with Waller and sticking with ETN as our one running back selection. One of the things I do like about it is that you do have some flexibility to go after those guys. If you have a draft slot that's in the second half instead of the first half, then there are some things you can do with going after Hawkinson, going after Fant, going after Gasicki. Maybe a Hawkinson, Fant, Gasicki team is more exciting in that there's some untapped potential there. If those guys break out, we talked about, you know, how loaded Denver is. It could be a little bit of a problem for Fant that he just has so many wide receivers on his team to deal with on an offense that even if Bridgewater takes a step forward, you know, you still have some volume. You still have some just scoring touchdown, you know, total touchdowns within the offense concerns. At the same time, I like some of those guys and the potential for them to take the step forward. And one of the things when you look at that, you're thinking, okay, well, there's a lot more uncertainty than if you take a Kelsey or a Waller. At the same time, when we're looking at tournaments, what we're really looking for is that next guy, the next Waller who you're not paying for as a top five player. Once you've paid for him as a top five player, then you've, you know, you burn most of the value. You're saying, okay, I do want to have a tight end heavy build, but you're not necessarily expecting to win your league based on it because you you paid as though it's already going to happen. And so, you know, if you do have a draft position in the second half, we know there are some big disadvantages to that because you don't have access to those top running backs and there's just there's no way around it you know if uh, McCaffrey has a huge season like he did in 2019 I mean he's going to determine how the whole year goes if Alvin Kamara is not hurt by the quarterback change and has a season like last year he's going to determine how the season goes if Barkley bounces back and I mean he's one of those picks with just such a gigantic range of outcomes if he can be what he was as a rookie then he'll determine how the season goes you don't necessarily have 
access to that if you have a pick in the second half or definitely in the final third, but you might be able to do some of these tight end heavy approaches where, yeah, I mean, you're still banking on things happening that haven't been demonstrated yet. But if we're talking about what will be the sort of discussion six months from now, the breakout tight end, if there is one, will be a big determiner of how this season and how this tournament plays out, who wins the $100,000. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think, too, recently it's kind of become a little bit more trendy to try to find that that late round tight end who you really think could be that Waller because we've just seen it now a couple of years in a row with Waller and Thomas. Now I'm kind of also trying to find myself those those tight ends who I think could could be that as well. And in this case, like you said, really make the difference in a tournament. Um, real quick here, we'll, we'll make this the last question. I actually have another quick one too. Um, so we'll, we'll get in two more real quick here. Uh, with everyone playing with the same rankings and roster builds, and with ADPs tightening up, how do you zigzag from the field or do you stay the course? Well, one of the things that, that Zach and I have been talking a lot about this week is that when you use or you pull up some of the best approaches in the roster construction explorers, you, you run into a little bit of frustration because the number of players who are doing everything right at all of the different positions are so limited. Now, Partly, it's not because people don't necessarily know what to do. It's because once you get into a draft, it's difficult to execute, even if you spent a long time preparing. We saw that with our draft here tonight, where if the tight ends that you're targeting, because there just aren't that many tight ends in the first 10 rounds. And so if you miss on the guy you want, it's not like you can just take the next guy, like you can at running back or wide receiver. So it can be difficult to execute some of these best builds. But... I just don't think that people really are playing correctly yet, at least with best ball, right? And so the way that you can sort of zag is simply to, you know, read the articles, follow the stuff that, that Mike has built. It's never ideal to have Mike drafting right next to us, you know, when he obviously <laughs> is the overall best ball guru and has built all of these great things that we have, you know, all of the fantastic wealth of information from now. But I think you want to just take the best practice, take the best approach, that's going to work out for you. It's going to create win rates that are definitely good enough to make money and then place you into the playoffs of these different tournaments where you could potentially win a, a very, very big pot. I do think that the other thing that you can do a little bit is that you know we know what the ADPs are. We know where the guys are going. One of the things that we did in this draft was simply to go by our rankings and not worry about the fact that maybe we're half a round or a round early. Because when you get to the end of your draft, you don't want to say, okay, well, I got value by ADP, but I didn't get value by my own rankings, right? So we want to have humility in terms of how we approach that. So much of what we do on Rotoviz, both in terms of being very aware of the results from the roster construction explorers, from the best ball win rate explorer, uh, but then also some of these other structural things with zero running back, with single elite running back. The reason that we do structural drafting in the first place is to have humility about how these drafts are going to play out and know that, okay, well, in our minds, it sticks when we were right about somebody, right? It sticks when you were right about Jamal Charles in 2013. It sticks when you were right about Stefan Diggs in 2020. It sticks all of these zero running back candidates that you put on your list and then they jump up and score in the top 10 points. Sometimes it can be harder to remember all the things that you're wrong on until you go back and you read all your articles and you're like, well, I just, you know, how did I have success last season when I clearly didn't know how it was going to play out? And the answer to that is that you follow these structural approaches. 
But then within that too, we have knowledge about how ADP is broken in terms of running back to wide receiver. We can emphasize that. We also know that there are some elements where early in drafts, young players are still a little bit undervalued in many cases, not all cases. I mean, there are going to be some guys like Pitts and Chase where it's sort of hard to foresee them blowing away those ADPs, right? But we know that some of the young guys are undervalued early. We know that some of the veterans are undervalued late. We want to draft by our boards as opposed to ADP if we get caught in situations where you can't do both. One of the things that we've talked a lot about on Rotoviz Overtime, for example, is in these RV Triflex Dynasty startups, uh, you can trade down. And trading down is a fantastic way to maximize your value. It also allows you to deal with these situations like we were in in round six where we're sitting there we don't really like anybody, right? You're sitting there in round 11, we didn't like anybody. Those were sort of the two places in our draft where if a trade down was possible, that we would have looked at that. And so depending on the type of league that you're playing, best ball, redraft, dynasty, you wanna make sure that you're taking advantage of whatever the opportunities are in that particular format to deal with any area that you come to in a draft where you don't like your choices. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's a awesome, awesome answer. I think it gives you um, a little bit to think about, especially when it comes to. I think I think the the idea of zigging when other people are zagging is so common that I think that the one thing that like Sean said, keep in mind is those rankings. I I, I am far more beholden to ADP, I think, than I than I, I would like to be now that I have gotten this opportunity to kind of talk some shop with you behind the scenes, be more mindful of different things. Um, you know, just, I, I also hang out on Twitter. So I get to see people say, you know, like you're crazy for taking a player X around early or a half, around and a half early, which not necessarily that we did that here, but when you, when you take a look at certain things and you, and you see that uh, how people respond to some of your picks, I think you begin to second guess um, maybe what you did, but really when you're sticking with your own rankings, I think that's what will help you diversify your rosters um, 
you know, in, in your builds in these kinds of tournaments. So I, I, I do think that that's a very good point to make, um, Sean, on that on that topic of, of zigging when other people are zagging. Last question I'll ask. This one came in the video chat. It is from Sal Stefanelli of 444.com. He wants to know, Sean, who's the best last round quarterback target? Um, do you need me to pull this up here? I think we still have some here because that's there's, there's a lot of guys hanging out there in that last round. Who's a who do you think is the best last round target? If, if we were taking a quarterback in this three QB bill in the last round, who would we have probably gone with? Well, you know, since we drafted two Denver Broncos and we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater as being the guy who's going to have to get that done, then Bridgewater probably looks good there. I don't necessarily mind Mac Jones. I think that, you know, your concern is simply that, you know, he doesn't start the season. The things that I've seen coming out of camp, and I think that especially with the Patriots, maybe you you can't always trust that. I think that they, I mean, they're going to do whatever it takes to get back, especially after, I mean, they were very generous about Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Probably it doesn't even matter because you know that, that Bill Belichick doesn't really care about anything in life other than winning that Super Bowl. He's going to do what it takes to get back there to try and win that. He's got the more motivation with what Tom Brady was able to accomplish last season. If that means starting Cam Newton for the first, you know, four games, first 10 games, I guess I just think that with a lot of the stuff that was coming out with Mac Jones late in the process, how well he played last season, how relatively strong of a fit he looks like for that Patriots offense, and then just the early practice reports you're hearing where he already looks a lot better as a passer than Cam Newton. I think that he'll play early. I think that he'll play relatively well. If you're talking about drafting someone in round 20, then Mac Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think those names uh, will necessarily hurt you. They would need to be part of a three-quarterback build in all likelihood, but there's some upside there, maybe even ahead of the, the player that we took. So I like those guys. Yeah, Mac Jones has been the guy for me who I've I've been taking late in some drafts. Uh, like you said, they would have to be in three-quarterback builds. So if I am getting Mac Jones, it is a three-quarterback build. Only other guy who I think is interesting, and maybe it's just because Trey Lance is just so raw as a rookie. He didn't. He only played in one game last season. I think even Jimmy Garoppolo might be an interesting player as a, as a late round flyer, just on the off chance that maybe he starts enough games to return some value for you there, or he shocks the world and starts, you know, almost the entire season, kind of like an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation from 2017, where Mahomes didn't play until I think it was the last game of the season. Alex Smith led the way. Um, that would probably also take the 49ers having a pretty good record and Jimmy Smith being, I'm sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo being a, a serviceable quarterback. But I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is interesting too. But Mac Jones would be the guy for me. If I'm if I'm looking at guys who I think could, could help me get to it in the back end of the season, I think Mac Jones is a guy who I'd be looking at. Um, Sean, any final thoughts on anything before we get out of here? Well, I, I wanted to hear your best pick for our draft here. Uh, where did you think – what pick did the draft really hinge on? And is there anything that you would do differently? Uh, one of the things that happens, I mean, doing these, these co-owning uh, is fantastic. It can also be a little bit tricky, right? Because if you're trying to have a conversation within the course of really, I mean, you have a 60 second clock, but it comes down to making the decision more or less than 30, 35 seconds. It can be difficult if players come off the board that you were targeting right ahead of, of your, right ahead of your pick. So was there anything that you would do differently now that we've had, uh, you know, a few minutes to sit back and look at it and see where some of the other players have gone. Yeah, so I, I, I will come right out and admit this is probably easily the sharpest draft room I have ever been in. So so there was a lot of things for me to consider as this was as this was taking place. Um, 
I think the pick that really just does stand out to me because we're talking about single elite running back, um, you know, as being a viable strategy. And I, you know, I think we kind of approach that here. I think that our draft and the success of it could possibly really hinge on ETN being um, kind of that single elite running back role who we took in the fourth round where other guys were taking people in, you know, the first and second rounds. You kind of comped him to Alvin Kamara and said that he's a guy who might be able to give us something in that likeness, but we got him three rounds later. So ETN really does stand out to me as a legitimate pick that if he hits and if AJ Brown and CD Lamb are doing what we expect them to do as our top two wide receivers off the board, then I think that that could be a very strong trio up front. If I was looking at something differently, I have to, I have to pay close attention to it here for a second. But if I was looking at something differently, I, I think maybe I would have considered a different running back um, over Tyler Boyd there. We didn't really get to pair Boyd um, with Joe Burrow. But I, at the same time, I, I also don't hate that Boyd pick just because of what I think he'd be able to do um, for us in, in terms of, you know, hopefully seeing a lot of targets in an offense that's going to be throwing a lot. Um I, th- I think that's kind of where I'm at on it. I like the Gasicki pick. Um, if maybe Tony Pollard could be a risky pick if for some reason Zeke ends up doing more than we are perhaps expecting him to. If Leonard Fournette ends up being a guy who sees more of that role that we saw him get in the playoffs, then we may we may regret going uh, Pollard over Fournette. But o- overall, I like this draft in general. We talked about James Conner too. Uh, we may we may hate ourselves some of the weeks where we went Pollard over Connor here. I know we did say we liked him. In hindsight, maybe that would have been where I would have changed it. Um, wh- what do you think as, as far as that goes? Yeah, I, I think that so much it's going to come down to those picks in round six and round seven because when you're loading up on the wide receivers, you do need them to score, right? So when we talk about zero running back, we always talk about trying to get six of the top 15 guys. I think that uh, it, it's easy to miss – on how much value that really gives to you so number one you're picking a lot of wide receivers early number two you have a profile that you like and you're picking the guys that you think are a little bit undervalued both judy and boyd are undervalued are they undervalued in a way where they can break out to the high-end level that we're looking for judy someone i think could be much 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 more expensive next season there's a lot of risk there because Cortland sutton could come back and be you know, probably not an AJ Brown t- quite to that level, but he could be someone in that mold. If he does that, there's just not going to be enough left over. If Judy can't fix the problems he had catching last season, then, you know, he- he's not going to get to that level. But when you look beyond the raw numbers for Judy, there were a lot of very promising things there to where, you know, he could be that guy who's not very far behind Lamb, behind Justin Jefferson. The where he was looked at coming in, was similar to those guys. I was maybe a little bit skeptical that he was that close. And then, you know, you see him drop those passes and you think, okay, well, I was right. But when you go and you look at it more closely, then you realize, okay, well, it's right there. I mean, drops are not super predictive. I mean, there are some elements of them that are depending on other aspects of the guy's profile. But all he has to do is catch those passes, take that next step. We see those year two wide receivers so so often make this huge jump. If he does that, then I think that we're sitting pretty... Boyd probably doesn't fit quite as well with some of the things that we want to do later. Maybe even something like take a big reach for LaVisca Chanel might have been the play with Chark off of the board there. We had talked about the the other two guys we were looking at when we picked Judy were Smith-Schuster and Chark. Neither one of them made it back. But Chanel could be the the player with the Jaguars and with the, the Trevor Lawrence pick there at QB who ends up really being the guy 
Uh, he's probably one of the most buzzed about players of the offseason. So perhaps that would have been a better fit. It's easy to second guess, though, when you go back through and you look at exactly where players did come off the board. Maybe we should have just taken them instead of instead of waiting. At the same time, I, I really like this team. It, it would have been a lot better with Logan Thomas. If Logan Thomas had lasted one more pick, you know, we've got to send uh, Mike some some hate mail of some sort for for making that selection there. But no, I, with that not being an option there in round six, I think this is a really fun team to have. And one of the things that I like to do, you know, we had the question of, you know, who do I not really like but keep drafting? One of the things that I always just really try and do when I come out of the drafts is to have players that I like, teams that I like, and I'm going to enjoy rooting for during the season. And, you know, even to the extent of when Blair and I drafted that extreme zero running back draft last year in the FFPC main event, I came out of it and I was like, I just, you know, the FFPC, you need to have that one running back who can really be a foundation piece for you. The first running back we drafted was in round 11. You know, Hines ended up being sort of our running back for most of the season. We started playing McKissick with him late. That team won the league, finished 31st overall, right? And so I think that a lot of times if you draft a team that you like and that you think is fun, the chances that that team outperforms are good. Whereas if you get into a draft and you get into a situation where you're like, okay, well, I just don't have it, right? I know that the percentages are in favor of single elite running back. I know the percentages are in favor of zero running back. But if I don't get a guy here, then I've essentially thrown $125 away because you just you have to have somebody. Then you start making picks that you don't like. The chances of that team outperforming are not great, right? So draft the guys that you like, the guys that you have confidence in, trust that the system will work, especially if you're playing, you know, more than one team. I think that, you know, if, if you're new to it, you're looking at single elite running back, you're looking at zero running back and you go that route and your team is bad, then, you know, you'll never try it again. You'll kind of get locked out of this approach that works. Whereas if you take sort of a normal approach and your team's bad, you'll just say, well, you know, not everybody can win. And I got unlucky with injuries, right? You won't say, well, it was the approach that knocked you out. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're prepared enough to draft guys that you like, to have a team that you'll enjoy rooting for, and, you know, to not put yourself in that situation where you're going to determine, like, all of your future draft strategy based on one league or one team. But but within that, you know, my recommendation is just, you know, draft your guys, draft them within a structure that has a high likelihood of working, and then enjoy rooting for them during the season. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that that's a, a great point. Definitely more fun when you have – vested interest in players you like as players and not so much players you like as ADP numbers, hoping that you're constantly watching that value that you think you capture in the draft. It's okay to go out and get your guys and, and have some fun. If you if you really believe in them, hopefully they do well. Again, Sean made an excellent point just a little bit ago too about getting his guys. And when he does that and he drafts players who he likes, he might have a couple down years, but when he hits, he hits in a big way, which is obviously what we're trying to do in any league, um, with especially being the case of a tournament format like this. Great Q&A there. Thanks again to the listeners who submitted those questions. Thanks for Zach for facilitating that questions and answers session with Sean. And thanks for Sean for jumping on. The guys did the draft, they did the Q&A, lots of good content. Hopefully you've enjoyed it over the last week or so. Um, plenty of entertaining stuff. Another draft coming up in the very near future with myself and Zach. We'll do a similar process. See what your thoughts are. I think there's a lot to be learned from hearing the decisions as you're live on the clock, how that thought process 
happens and uh, what the planning and preparation before your draft um, can help set you up for that success in case you have to pivot or, or change your approach if the guy you wish to get should go just before you so that is going to uh, wrap up the series with sean siegel and that part of it but we're going to continue the best best ball podcast series for another couple of weeks yet uh, lots of episodes check out the podcast directory for the series up on rotaviz.com you'll be able to catch all the episodes in one place if you have enjoyed this one head back check out the rest i think this is episode 13 or episode 14 uh, we, we're starting to fly through them now so uh, we'll probably end up with 18 to 20 episodes in the series they will all be posted to that rotaviz.com page so don't miss out uh, head on over and check that out of course drop us a rating on your favorite podcast app leave us a five-star review it is much appreciated and uh, I guess we're getting close to the end of the show. So all that's left to say is thanks for tuning in. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Zachary Kruger is the co-host of the series. Follow him on Twitter at ZK underscore FFB. And he was joined today by Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work on rotaviz.com. You can find him as well two to three times a week on the Rotoviz Overtime podcast along with myself. So do check that one out also. And until we're back again with more episodes coming your way in the best best ball podcast series, have a good one. <laughs>